Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm your host, Meryl Arnett, and my passion is making meditation accessible and enjoyable. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a guided meditation. If you would like to access these meditation practices as standalone audio files for your daily practice, please subscribe to my newsletter at merylarnett.com. It's free and you'll receive a new mini meditation each week, along with behind the scenes content and bonus material for each podcast episode. All right, let's grab a cup of tea, a comfy seat, and settle in for today's practice. Hi, friends. Welcome to a new year and a new season of the Mindful Minute. I'm so glad to be with you today. As we settle into January, you're going to hear a few interviews in a row, which is a little unusual for this podcast. I try to keep it to one interview a month or so, maybe even less. But this season, I really want to start out with a very specific focus. This focus has to do with attention and intention. You know, we have a lot coming at us these days, both in terms of stress and fear, as well as in the solutions that are offered by the wellness industry. Suddenly, it's just do yoga or Reiki or meditate or go on that retreat or buy that journal or that crystal. And, you know, self-care is like another full-time job and one that we're probably failing at. And I just, I'm not here for that. I'm not. And I don't want you to feel like when you listen to this podcast, that it's one more thing you should be doing and aren't doing. I believe deeply in meditation because I love meditation. For me, it is luxurious and it feels creative and inspirational. It's benefited me tremendously in my own life. You know, it's not the only thing that I do, though. I also really love to cook. I love to cook. And I love to spend intentional, contemplative time in nature. I write a little bit. I try to garden. (laughs) I honor my ancestors. I play with oracle cards. I dream journal. And I don't do all of this every single day. I do do pieces of that every single day. And all of these little pieces of practice, they've become what what I call, what I refer to as my homesteading the heart practices. They are the practices that settle me into myself. They allow me to feel the way I want to feel as I move through my days. They allow me to connect, to care, to love for all those in my life, as well as myself. 
they invite me to bring attention and intention into everything that I do. And so while certainly I will still be sharing meditation classes and guided meditations on this podcast, I also really hope to bring in a few of these smaller homesteading practices so that you have other pieces. And my pieces might not be your pieces. I'm not here to tell you what will and won't work for you. But I'll share what's worked for me and what I enjoy and what brings me pleasure in my days in hopes that it supports you too. And so these next three interviews starting today are pieces that I hope you find inspirational or curious or something that feels like, oh, I want to do that. And if it doesn't, you don't have to do it. You can listen, you can enjoy it, you can move on to whatever practices do support you in feeling good in your days. So to start with, we are moving into a two-part series with the co-authors of a powerful new book that I am so excited to share with you guys today. I have been waiting over a month to talk about this with y'all. So today we are talking with Dr. Michael Amster about the power of awe and an incredible micro-mindfulness practice that you can do in 30 seconds. I'm not kidding, 30 seconds. And speaking from my own experience with this practice, it will absolutely invigorate your meditation practice and benefit your days. Michael is a San Francisco Bay Area-based physician and a faculty member of the Turo School of Medicine. As a pain management specialist, Michael is keenly aware of the integration of mind, body, and spirit, and the effects of physical and psychospiritual pain on health and well-being. Michael is a student of meditation for over 30 years, as well as a certified yoga teacher and a meditation teacher trained at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Today, Michael and I are going to talk about the emotion of awe. Michael teaches us an incredible mini practice that we can do in any given moment to connect with the emotion of awe. And we will talk about the numerous clinical studies that they've done on this particular practice. And so we can talk about really the science of why awe decreases stress, anxiety, depression, burnout, and improves our well-being, our connectedness, our generosity, and our happiness. I know this sounds too good to be true. I thought so as well. But friends, I am really, truly in love with this book and this practice. I have recommended it to so many people in my life already. I do this practice multiple times a day now, and I'm delighted to share it with you. So without further ado, join me and Michael in today's conversation. Well, Dr. Michael Amster, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Thank you so much, Meryl, for welcoming me on the podcast. And I'm just thrilled to meet your community of listeners. And um, as we, we talked a little bit before we started tonight, um, I'm a fan of your work and just really thrilled to be here. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much. Um, so I have to tell you before we get started, 
you know, I, I got your book, The Power of Awe. And in all honesty, I was a little bit wary because I tend to hesitate when anybody says they're going to offer me anything in less than a minute a day. And I was like, uh, oh, I don't know about this. And then I opened your book and I started reading it. And I was like astounded by the amount of research and science that's presented. I was astounded by the simplicity and yet a totally unique to me practice that I implemented that day and have used since with profound effect, quite honestly. Um, and so I knew I had to talk to you because this is really, at least in my experience as a meditation teacher, it really feels like life-changing stuff here. Um, so I wonder, before we get into everything that you are doing, I wonder if maybe you could tell us a little bit about the work that you do. I know that you're both in medicine and in mindfulness. Maybe you could share a bit about who you are. Yeah, well, I've been a student of mindfulness since I was in college. Um, and I think for many people, we become students of meditation or mindfulness from some adversity or challenges that we have in our life. And so I used to suffer from really bad test-taking anxiety. And I had panic attacks in college. And I had a really big one taking the medical school admissions test. And I, for anyone who's ever had one of those experiences, your mind completely shuts down and your heart's racing. I started crying. I stormed out of the exam, just feeling completely deaf. And I was really at a crossroads where I needed to either manage my anxiety through medication or um, find some more natural way. And a friend of mine took me on um, a 10-day Vipassana retreat, which mm. was my first experience. And it was, to be quite honest, probably one of the hardest uh, 10 days of my life. But I came out of it transformed and... I've been a devoted student of Buddhist meditation uh, for over 30 years and then was trained as a Dharma teacher at Spirit Rock, which is a, a center here on the West Coast that trains Buddhist teachers. About a decade ago, I've led a Sangha for many years. And then um, I've been teaching mindfulness to my patients as a pain management specialist for um, as long as I've been practicing medicine. That's a big part of what I do is leading um, uh, chronic pain groups and we introduce mindfulness principles. and. What I have found um, over the years is that people really can struggle with a sustained mindfulness practice. It's not easy. Um, it takes a lot of effort um, and it can, over time, um, maybe it doesn't get easier for people. Like it can be even a harder practice, especially for people with chronic pain. So I had had a conversation with my friend and colleague, Jake Eagle, who's a mindfulness teacher and leads a spiritual community called liveconscious.com. We started dabbling with the idea of brief micro meditation practices that people could take off the cushion or off the mat and do out in their regular daily life, wherever they are, at any place, any time. And first we played with the idea of what we called microdoses of mindfulness or microdosing mindfulness. And then I flew out to Hawaii in, I think it was 2019. And I spent a week with Jake. He lives in Hawaii on the big island. and. For those who have ever been to Hawaii, it's filled with a lot of extraordinary awe, the, the colors of the mountains, the rainbows, the lava, the food, ocean, everything is just filled with amazement and wonder. And it was actually in this very simple moment while we were kind of exploring what this ideal mindfulness practice would be that would give someone a taste of you know profound peace and presence um, in just seconds. And it was really about awe. 
And um, I was making pancakes one morning for Jake and his wife, Hannah. And prior to that experience, I'd made pancakes hundreds of times for my child and um, for friends. And uh, <laughs> I'm always multitasking, like pour the batter, I'm off making sausage or bacon or coffee or putting my kids lunch together for school. And I just stood there and watched the pancakes very attentively watching them transform from a batter into this big puffy pancake. And I had this epiphany and it was this profound moment of awe really. And that very simple, ordinary act of watching pancakes cook. And so from that, Jake and I sort of dissected what happened and we came up with what we call the awe method. It's a three-step practice. We use the word awe as an acronym, actually. We break into two step, three steps, sorry. Uh, attention, wait, exhale, and expand. And I'm going to get to teach a little bit more about that later tonight. Um, but it was um, really incredible. We did some initial research in our practices. I did a pilot study with 12 of my patients, and Jake did something similar with a group of his patients. And we saw really incredible outcomes so in terms of improvement of depression, anxiety, and pain. And I approached Dacher Keltner, who is the granddaddy of all our research. He's at the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. He's the founder of the center. He's been spending his whole career on, on awe. And he was so impressed with our initial findings that he said that this was the future of mindfulness, to quote him. <laughs> and uh, then immediately after I met Dacher, the pandemic struck. And we reached out to him to do a very emergent study with people, you know, really struggling with sheltering in place, with anxiety and depression, skyrocketing with all the political strife also also happening around the the Frank uh, Lloyd riots and everything that was going on. Um, we did these two uh, really robust studies. One incorporated, uh, uh, we enrolled over 150 doctors and nurses on the front lines during COVID. And then the other was 300 primary care patients. And from that, we were able to look at the more longitudinal benefits of, of this awe method practice. And so, I mean, there's so much in this and the future of mindfulness, like what a huge, huge statement to make. And, and yet when I was reading through your work, I really did feel immediately the ways this was going to resonate with the students that I work with, the way it resonated with me. Um, and so maybe let's start with what is awe? Let's talk a little bit about what awe is. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so I would, you know, ask you and your listeners. So, you know, think about a moment of awe you've had in your life. Um, and for a lot of people, they think of an extraordinary moment of awe. Maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon or you've like witnessed just a profoundly beautiful sunset or you've been at the birth of your child and seen them come into the world. Now, those are all moments of awe. And they're, from a scientific perspective, when we think about awe, there's sort of two aspects to it. Um, so one is that when we have a moment of awe, we experience a sense of vastness um, within ourselves, typically. I mean, we might see something vast outside in the world, but our sense of identity becomes vast. So we feel like we're bigger. We feel connected to the vastness of the universe, to you know, God, to to you know, universal consciousness, whatever you, whatever word you want to use. It's like that sense of us feeling connected to something bigger than the self. 
And another aspect about it is from a scientific emotion is that it often scrambles our sense of reality for a moment. We're like, wow, that is so beautiful. You know, I was, um, I'm up here in the snow right now and I was just snowshoeing with my spouse and um, Alana and our dog. And we came across this, this tree and it was just an, a, an ordinary tree, but it was so incredibly beautiful looking at the bark and the patterns. Um, it wasn't an extreme vista, but it was just in that moment, just seeing the intricate detail of, of the, um, the bark that really elicited for me a moment of awe. Mm. And um, in our book, we use a very simple definition. We say it's an emotional experience in which we sense being in the presence of something that transcends our normal perception of the world. Mm. So it can be just something as subtle as we become very aware of sensation in our fingertips. And we could all do this practice together right now. Just focus your sensation on the fingertips and notice the ridges of them, of your fingers. You're not normally aware of that, but right now we're like really noticing how our fingers feel. And then that can be a moment of awe right there that our nervous system allows us to experience that, um, you know, all goes up the wiring up our hand, up into our brain and the synapses. And we're able to have this like really profound, you know, present moment experience of wonder and amazement. And did I read that awe is maybe the only of the, you know, sort of positive, I don't love to use that description, but the the more positive emotions, but it's one of the only ones that we can experience at the same time that we might be experiencing depression or anxiety as opposed to like joy, right? Yeah. So what we talk about in our book, and we actually dedicated a chapter to this, is that awe can be a very powerful emotion in that we can be in the presence of awe when we're having a hard time. So we would talk about, for example, if we're feeling depressed, if let's say we're going through a divorce, um, through a loss of a job or an illness, we can't force ourselves to get out of that depressed state. I mean, I've been there myself in my life and I can't make it happen that I can you know, convince myself to be happy. But we can still access awe, even when we're having a really hard time, when we're depressed, when we're feeling anxious. Awe is always available. Um, we share a story with Viktor Frankl who is um, a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust. He is a psychiatrist um, and wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And he shares about how awe was one of the factors that kept him and other inmates going is that they could still find beauty and wonder of the world. Um, just, you know, looking outside the walls of the camp um, in the beauty of the natural world to keep them going, even though mm -hmm. being in one of the darkest places of human history. You um, you share a quote that is often attributed to him, and it's a quote that I use all of the time about this idea between there being space between stimulus and response. Um, mm -hmm. And and I, I loved both reading that and also sort of the work that you've done around that, that it's about our perception, right? As opposed to yeah. just stimulus and response, which is fascinating to me. Yep. I use the same quote all the time in my teaching of mindfulness it's as well. It's such a and good quote for teaching mindfulness. 
It is because that <laughs> gap is our freedom, right? Yeah. That's where our freedom lies is our ability to choose what our reaction is going to be in any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, especially true with, you know, with chronic illness and which I see a lot with the work I do and people not reacting to their pain mm. um, and making stories about it. Yeah. So let's um, tell people Let's walk them through the steps of AWE in this micro mindfulness practice. Yeah. So as I shared, we use the word awe, it's an acronym um, for the three steps. So what I'll do is um, I will first uh, kind of explain the practice and why it works. And then I'll run people through a more deeper practice. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the car driving while listening to this podcast, and I know that I usually listen to podcasts while I'm driving. Um, just be mindful about, um, sometimes this practice can be really powerful. And it, we, we talk about all happening on a spectrum and on the far end of the spectrum is what we say is an orgasm mm. of extreme, you know, awe experiences. So, uh, just be mindful and you're always, everyone's welcome to come to our website, uh, where we have some recorded, uh, practices as well as, um, some more extended practices as well that we also have in our books. So it's, um, it's a very simple practice. It takes 15 seconds to do. So I'm going to talk you through it right now in terms of like how it works. And then we'll do a, a very uh, more quick practice. So A stands for attention. And what we're asking you to do is to bring your full undivided attention to something that you value, appreciate, or find amazing. So in the space that you're in right now, just look for something. Maybe it's a piece of art on the wall. It might be some photographs of family members. And if you can't find something, you could always bring up a memory of the past and that can elicit a moment of awe. Thinking about someone who's passed away in a, a special time you have with someone maybe during the holidays or at a birthday or something like that. So you're going to bring your full attention to that moment. And then the W stands for wait. And a wait is a simple pause of a breath or two. And what I like to think about the wait is the wait is a gift. So you know when you're walking with a friend through a doorway and they walk ahead of you and they open the door and then they're waiting for you and you get to go through. It feels really good when someone's caretaking you. Well, this is an opportunity to caretake yourself. You're waiting and you're really gifting yourself this opportunity to have this profound moment of awe right now in the ordinary moment of your life. And then the E stands for two things. One is a nice long exhalation out. And when we take a longer exhale than an inhale, what we're doing is we're stimulating our vagus nerve and at the very bottom of our diaphragm sits the vagus nerve and that's the master the computer of the autonomic nervous system that controls our fight flight freeze response so we're really leveraging our nervous system to give ourselves give ourselves a sense of rest relaxation and awe and then the e also stands for an expansion because when we have a moment of awe we experience ourself getting bigger and we feel connection and we often feel actually an energetic expansion where if you, if you can recall a moment of awe maybe you felt like some tingle or chills you know in your extremities that's because there is an energetic release when we have a moment of awe so that's the, the basics of the design of the practice and so i'm going to now talk everyone through it in a little bit faster clip all right so we're going to begin with attention and so to bring yourself to this present moment and your full undivided attention to something that you value, appreciate, and find amazing. 
And then we're going to have a nice wait for just a breath or two. Just really being fully with that moment. Take a nice inhale in and a longer exhale out. Letting that energy of that moment expand and fill you up. Take another breath and just notice how you feel right now. You notice any change in your physiology. Open your eyes. And how was that for you, Meryl? It was lovely. You know, um, I have had the opportunity over the last maybe two weeks to really play with this practice. And there are two that just really jump out at me. And I've tried to incorporate it a couple times each day. But um, so I had sort of a bigger awe moment a couple days ago. I was sitting at my kitchen table, which is where I tend to work because we have great windows. I'm so grateful for the light. And as I'm sitting there working, I start hearing a noise that like draws my attention outside. And I see so many birds in our backyard. I'm like, oh, this is so interesting. So I walk out on the back deck. And, you know, a starling is like mm -hmm. this iridescent black bird, about half the size of a crow. Mm -hmm. And they fly in these unbelievably enormous groups called murmurations, mm -hmm. which I think is so beautiful. Anyway, a murmuration of starlings landed in our backyard. And then as if it was one being, I mean, I'm estimating without exaggeration, 2,000 birds took flight from our backyard like up into the air it was just this huge moment and it would be a huge moment i think regardless of whether you are practicing anything but i had already been sort of doing this technique and so i just stood there and i was like oh exhale and feel what you're feeling and it was so physically powerful to feel mm. that so it was incredible and then the other experience I had, opposite end of the spectrum, I, I have two kids, listeners now. I have a five-year-old daughter. My five-year-old daughter spent the night with her best bud last night, which is just next door. It's like literally next door, so not far. She was so excited. I'm excited for her. But then I'm sitting on my couch last night, and I am worrying, just like, is she going to be able to sleep? Is she going to be scared? Is she going to feel comfortable telling the mom if she needs me? Like, I could just feel myself starting to spiral into mom anxiety. Mm. And as I felt it, I thought, you know what? This, I know that what this is, is like unbelievable love for my kid. And let me just feel that for a moment instead of get spiral, get stuck in this spiral of thoughts that was starting to happen. And right there on the couch, TV was playing. The rest of my family was in the room. I didn't do anything different. But I just said to myself, picture your daughter. Remind yourself how much you love her. I did the wait. I did the exhale. And I focused on that feeling versus the anxiety feeling. And it really shifted that moment for me. And it was, I didn't have to go somewhere else. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to call the neighbor. It was all fine. And my daughter did great. She had a great spend the night. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it's a very powerful practice. That's I love what you shared. And I will tell you, for me, listening to what you sh just shared, it gave me a moment of awe. 
Mm. And that's one thing about I love about this practice is that it's a contagious practice in a, in a good way, <laughs> being contagious. When we share our awe with others, we can inspire awe on them. Mm. Oh, I yeah, love that. Yeah. It's really beautiful in that way. Um, it, it, and since you have young children and young children are the epitome of awe and wonder and how they experience the world, it might be a fun practice to do is to sit around the table. Maybe if, if you pause before you eat your meal for a little gratitude, you know, does everyone go around and share their awe of the day? And I've heard from people that have done this with young children that they're just so in awe of what their children have to <laughs> share about the world and what they see. They're just like blown away. They've never could have never imagined that that's what they would have said. <laughs> They're just oh, I love that. So special and unique of how children see the world. That's so and in a lot of ways, I think what this practice is about is is taking us back to living our lives in childlike wonder. Mm -hmm. um, there's a quote that I really love by uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He was a contemporary of MLK. Um, and they were very close. And a lot of the photos, like at the Selma March, they're standing side by side. And he he's sort of a, the rabbi who lived about his life and his teachings were about radical amazement and wonder. Mm. And he says, our goal should be to live life and radical amazement. Get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Mm -hmm. And I, I just love this practice and I've seen in the help of hundreds and thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and then now thousands of people, <laughs> you know, from our initial studies into the, the the bigger studies we've done. And we've actually even conducted another study with COVID long haul patients, a nationwide study with seeing benefits with the practice as well. So it's um it's really exciting as a medical doctor to and a long-term Buddhist practitioner to see the marriage of science and spirituality and when they really work hand in hand. It's incredible. And so you are encouraging participants in your studies or people that you are teaching this technique to. This is like as many times a day as you think of it, or how are you inviting people to incorporate this into their days? So what we did in our two big research studies is we taught this in a 21-day program. Mm. And so um, we taught this through a, a Zoom virtual class because it was a nationwide study. And um, we met four times, uh, seven days apart. So it was over the 21-day period. And then mm -hmm. we asked people just to practice this three times a day. Um, so the practice takes about 15 to 20 seconds and three times a day is, adds up to about a minute a day. And that was the minimum we asked people to do. But we did ask people if they wanted to, to do it more. And so this is really cool is that we know from our research that there's a dose response. So the more you dose on your day, the more benefit you have. Hmm. And there's no side effects or downside. So you can, you can do this 10 times a day. Um, and when I teach this to people, I often recommend uh, to begin to to attach your moments of awe to something that you already do, a habit you already do all every, you know, throughout your day. So a lot of people start their day drinking a cup of coffee or tea in the morning or a cup of juice. So use that as an opportunity to have a moment of awe, you know, whether it's, you know, making tea or coffee and, you know, smelling the grounds or the tea bag, um, 
watching water boil can be a moment of awe, uh, mm. tasting it, smelling it, feeling it in your body and your gut, warming you up in a cold winter morning. Like all these are great opportunities to um, experience awe in a different way every day. I mean, every day you can have that morning ritual and have a different experience of awe. I love that. I love that we don't have to wait for 2000 starlings to, to land in our backyard. <laughs> To do this practice, we get to incorporate it into our day as it is. Mm -hmm. And I also love for all of us that want to have a mindfulness practice and our day falls apart and we don't get that 10-minute sit or that 20-minute sit that we thought we were going to do, to not have to write that day off as a loss, but to know that there are however many seconds in a day are opportunities for us to do this very little practice that has such a huge feeling attached to it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's such a phenomenal mindfulness practice. Like you said, it can be done anywhere and at any time, you know, any place. Like you could be in line at the airport to, in the TSA checkpoint and you start to get stressed out because you think you're going to miss your flight. And you can use it as an opportunity to have a moment of awe to like decompress your nervous system and to calm down. Um, and one thing I really love about this, having taught mindfulness meditation to many students over the years, is that this practice has a re immediate reward. You feel good when you have a moment of awe. Mm. Sadly, um, traditional mindfulness practices, sometimes you, you finish your 10-minute sit and you're not feeling very good. It can bring up stuff. It can, um, I mean, I'm not saying those practices don't have value. They really do. And it's important that we have like deeper dives of mindfulness. But this is a practice that, um, in my experience, for people that have struggled with traditional mindfulness, practices of sitting for long periods of time, people that struggle with ADHD, with a very you know big monkey mind, um, this is a practice anyone can do. Anyone can focus on one thing that you find amazing, beautiful, incredible for 10 seconds. And then to just let it fill you up, um, take a nice long exhale out and reset your nervous system. Like anyone can do that. Yeah. Um, and that's, and it's a great practice. You can, like I said, we, you take it anywhere you go. You're, you're at, you're at a red light. You got kids fighting in the back seat. <laughs> you know? Great story. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're like, okay, I'm having my moment of awe right now. <laughs> look out, you know, just look out at the sky, look at a tree, look at a bird, look at a stoplight, be in yeah. awe, stoplights. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. uh, just as you said that I was realizing, you know, one of my just own personal habits, I don't even know where it developed to be truthful, is almost every night. Before I go to bed, I step outside and I take like 30 seconds to stare up at the night sky. I have done it most of my adult life. And I'm never really, I don't know why, I just know that I feel good when I do it. It like does something for me to do that experience. But as you're talking, I'm like, oh, I'm clearly experiencing this moment of awe. I don't know that I've ever had a name for it. Mm -hmm. But it's exactly what I'm doing is I'm standing there under a sky that reminds me of essentially how vast the universe is and exactly. the, the other thing i love about 
that I personally love is like, I love thinking about the fact that the moon is the exact same moon every single ancestor I've ever had has looked up and seen. Like, to me, that's mm. just an incredible thing to think about. But it's, it's a little awe practice. And now I have mm-hmm. a name and a practice and a remembrance to make sure I exhale and sit there for a second longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. We talk about in our book about we can, we sort of have these three main categories of awe. And what you've just shared is awe of concepts, or we call it conceptual awe. You know, thinking about that, like you said, I mean, I've never thought of it in that way, but all my ancestors looked at the same exact moon for as long as human life has been on this planet that we've had that moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awe inspiring. What are the um, other types of awe? Oh, so. We have awe of the senses, sensorial awe, and that's really what we usually teach in our um, our 21-day program. It's sort of the gateway of, of accessing awe. So we use awe of our senses, right? So through visual experiences, auditory, you know, tasting, smell, kinesthetic feeling, um, all those can be you know, gateway, profound ways of experiencing awe. I think that's what most of us are familiar with is that we have those odd moments of when we see a beautiful sunset or we're like maybe brushing our child's hair and we just feel that softness in our hands and that elicits that moment of awe. Um, and then there's awe that we call interconnected awe. And that's the awe we have with other humans and other like sentient beings like our pets. Um so we can be, you know, in just profound awe of spending time with our dog or a cat or <laughs> our children, even when they're maybe acting out, can be a really profound moment of of awe, watching them grow and expand and their identity. Um, and then the third is all the concepts that we've been talking about. Mm. People are just can be blown away by the 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 photos that we we get to watch from the different space telescopes like the Hubble telescope and the James Webb telescope that yes that is looking at light that was put out 15 16 billion years ago when the universe the I guess the whole universe is 17 billion years old but as far as we know now <laughs> that's just so wild yeah clearly I'm a conceptual awe kind of person that stuff yeah. just lights me up so interesting and it is interesting, like we all sort of have a, a, a natural propensity, you know, and like what type of awe we're most naturally attracted to that we can mm. tap into in our lives. And so, um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's neat. Like, and what we also know from our research that if you're not necessarily a natural awe person, we, we have in our book, uh, an awe scale. So you can take a little questionnaire and get a number of like how naturally you are an awe person. Well, we know from this practice that just doing this in 21 days, you build a muscle. We call it the awe muscle, but you, you're literally changing your wiring so that instead of awe being a temporary state, it becomes a trait of who you are as a person. And then you don't have to use this practice anymore. The practice is, is really training wheels to get you started on an awe practice. But then once you have it in your bones, so to speak, or in your muscles, um, you will experience awe just happening all the time spontaneously. And then you're starting to live life in the way that um, Abraham Heschel is talking about this, Mm -hmm. just seeing the radical amazement of everything around us all the time. Yeah. And the book is The Power of Awe. It's out now, yes? It is out. It's um, 
came out earlier in 2023. It, um, we also can find us on our website at thepowerball.com and we do some online classes and we have a, a sweet little newsletter. We're not big marketing people, Jake and I, it's not our style, but we have, we call it the moments of awe newsletter. And so every other mm. week we send out a, a moment of awe. You can just read it and be inspired. And yeah, so that's kind of what we've been doing in terms of marketing ourselves. We just really love connecting with people. So I would encourage any of the listeners to, they want to reach me personally, um, Michael at thepowerball.com. Be happy to, I love hearing from people who are inspired by our work. We also have on our website, um, we call it our moment of awe page where people can post their moments of awe. Oh, that that's lovely. Other people. Yeah, it really is nice. And we have a close face. We have Facebook group that people can be in touch and share as well as some online classes. So nice. Um, yeah. And I've really wanted, I wanted to close briefly by saying that um, we actually close our book with uh, this, your example of looking up at, at the night stars. No. Oh, I love that. I haven't gotten all the way to the end yet. That's so yeah. great. Oh. We talk about that in our epilogue. I mean, I, I could read it if you want me to right now. Or Well, I do. I would love for you to read a little bit about um, making awe a piece of our sort of engagement in the world. I know you talk about a bit about that in the epilogue, yes? Yeah. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about us as individuals and how awe is a much, very much a self-help technique. But I just want to share a few paragraphs about how the implications of awe goes well beyond personal transformation. So awe touches everything, and perhaps most telling is the effect it has on others. We're wired to attune to others' behaviors and moods. Our nervous system senses the emotions of those around us. Just as being the recipient of a warm smile can lighten our mood, when we're in awe, those around us feel it too. Awe is contagious. And so practicing the awe method is one not so small way we can contribute to the world. In this book, we've covered how the awe method is grounded in science and that a whole body of science supports that awe changes lives. So we have a big, simple crash ending to the power behind the simple practice of the awe method. If practiced frequently enough by enough people, the critical mass, as it were, everyone would experience a significant heightened shift in consciousness. Awe changes us, and when we share our awe, we change the world. How can we be in awe of someone and physically or emotionally harm them? How can we be in awe of the natural world and destroy it? How can we be in awe of life itself and not live as if every day were a miracle? In awe of the tone of every conversation, from the personal to the political, shifts from having an agenda to being open and curious. Our conversations impact how we raise our kids, how we help our aging parents, how we treat our spouse, how we participate in community, how we mentor or supervise people, how we govern a city, and how we lead a nation. We can think of no downside to practicing the awe method because awe is the light, the appreciation of nature and different cultures, the curious and open mind, the generous and giving soul even during times of darkness. These days, we need awe more than ever. So awe awaits you and surrounds you in the ordinary moments of your life, like the view of the stars that fill the night sky. Awe is free and always available. All you need to do is pay attention to what you value, appreciate, and find amazing. Wait 
and then exhale and expand into the unlimited timelessness of awe. Michael, thank you. I love that. I loved this conversation today. Listeners, you have your marching orders, friends. Let's go look for some awe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm in awe of what you're doing and the work you're doing and the mindfulness that you're spreading in the world. Thank you so much. And it was such an honor to be here tonight and to get to meet your community of listeners as well. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I will. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show. And let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators in this world. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and produced with the support of Madeline Day Production Management and Brianna Nielsen Virtual Assistance. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit merylarnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you guys next week.